Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, state lawmakers have made several major adjustments to Mississippi's Medical Cannabis Act. Then, how the state's housing market is performing amid national bank closures, high interest rates, and inflation. Plus, a small town in Mississippi is mourning the loss of one of their own, Olympic medalist Tori Bowie. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's lawmakers have made several changes to the state's medical marijuana laws. That includes the ability for folks to see different doctors when renewing their certification, removing public addresses of cultivation sites, and increasing protections for patient confidentiality. Ken Newberger is executive director of the Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. He shares how these changes can improve the patient experience experience and reduce barriers for obtaining products. The elimination of the mandatory drug test put the request of a drug test in the examination of a patient for a physician or a nurse practitioner in the hands and the judgment of that practitioner. I think that was a really big thing because it it let the people who are actually doing the certifying have a lot more autonomy about how to give that care uh, rather than a mandatory requirement. Uh, Further, it allowed for those same physicians and nurse practitioners and optometrists and physicians assistants who are certifying patients, it allowed them to assist patients with the application to the Department of Health because in order to get a card right now, first you must go see a certifying practitioner like a, a physician who has gotten their certifying hours. They have to certify you and notify the Department of Health that you are certified for medical cannabis. Then you as the patient also must go and apply to the Department of Health to tell them who you are, submit proper documentation for them to issue a card. And that was a little strenuous on a couple patients who are already dealing with debilitating conditions, and then a lot of them are older and need a little bit of help when it comes to, to digital applications. So allowing doctors to do that on behalf of the patients uh, was a huge change. A few other key changes happened in the bill 
that just made it a little smoother to get your business up and running. Those really are the biggest two changes are removing the drug test and allowing physicians to assist patients in the application for their card. Was there a complaint or were people calling in saying, why do we have to be drug tested? Yes, that that was the big thing that a lot of people felt like they were going to see a, a physician and maybe they were a patient that was using medical cannabis illegally and they were trying to get to a point where they could use it legally. And they felt like they might be denied if they were found positive for using the exact same drug that they wanted to seek for relief if they were using it illegally. So so that was a big problem for a lot of patients. But now that's gone and uh, it's still up to the discretion of the, the doctor if they see someone and they say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm curious about your, your drug use history and that might not work with cannabis. So I would like to look into it, but it's no longer a mandatory thing. The time to obtain a card, I understand, is cut in half. The health department has a much smaller window to get these cards to the applicants. That's correct. So it was uh, roughly 30, 35 days, and now it's, uh, now it's 10 days. So it's, it's more than cut in half. It's cut in a third. Thankfully, since the legislative session, the Department of Health has made a lot of changes structurally to how they're reviewing and approving cards, and, and it's usually about a 24 to 48-hour turnaround right now. Well, that's pretty quick. Yeah, they, they've really come a far way. I think Department of Health was working on, on changing these things to have a faster turnaround. They just needed a little bit more time before they could implement the changes to issue cards very quickly. A patient can see a different doctor than they initially saw to get their card, or they can go to other doctors as they choose. They're not required to stick with one physician? That's right. So initially, the bill was written that you would have to go to the same physician that gave you your your initial card for your your follow-up. Now, we change it. You just have to go to a physician who has gotten their hours. This was really because the scenario of if you live in Tupelo and you get certified by a doctor up in Tupelo and you move to Ocean Springs for requiring you to drive all the way back to Tupelo for a doctor's visit six months later is a little strenuous. So allowing you to go to a different doctor that is certified under the law was a big change. The removal of addresses from the Department of Health's website for cultivation facilities, why is that happening? We requested that they remove those because, unlike dispensaries, cultivation facilities really aren't supposed to be a public entity. People in Mississippi who might want to steal or break in, we don't want them to know where to go effectively. We want them to know only where the dispensaries are because the dispensaries have chosen to be that public-facing company as opposed to cultivators who would really prefer to cultivate and send their cannabis out to public-facing facilities rather than uh, just alert any criminals that if you want to find out where the marijuana is, this is where it is. Talking about what you plan to do this summer to help people understand medical marijuana and what they need to do in all of the regulations and such, you're touring the state, is that right? That's correct. Um, members of our association are going to be touring the state, meeting with uh, both members and Interested parties who are you know, possibly patients or just advocates or other companies who, who might not yet be in the association, we're looking to, to hear from everybody 
and also help make connections to our legislators. And so for the first part of this summer, you're going to be going to Oxford, Tupelo, Jackson, Hattiesburg, Ocean Springs, and Starkville, and then you'll pick up next summer? Yes. Throughout the summer, we're starting in Oxford, uh, I think, next week. Um, And then we'll be going to all those cities throughout the summer, you know, for two or three days, just meeting with different uh, companies and interested parties. You know, I I think the the number one thing, if you're interested in getting a card, now is the time to to get a card. Product is on the shelves. We have a very diverse array of products all throughout the state. Every single major population center in the state has physicians who are actively certifying patients. It's easier to get a card now than it has been in the past, and that doesn't seem to be stopping uh, if you do truly deserve to have medical cannabis. And lastly, give us an idea of the different types of treatments there are. Typical one that people know about is, is smoking. We also have tinctures and edibles, which are really the the ones that a lot of people are asking for. It's a much older crowd in Mississippi that are going to dispensaries to try uh, medical cannabis. Most doctors I talk to, the average age of their patient is 55. So it's a it's a much older crowd of patients. So they don't want to smoke. They, they're asking for edibles and tinctures. We've seen some topicals like bath bombs and creams come out. So those are, those are kind of the, the wider array of products that are on the shelves today. Ken Newberger, Executive Director of Mississippi Medical Association. Wait. Ken Newberger, Executive Director of Mississippi Medical Marijuana Association. Thank you so much for updating us on how this program is going and the changes that are taking place. Thanks for having me. Had trouble getting that right on the first try. Coming up, how Mississippi's housing market is faring amid national bank closures and growing inflation. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. It's made possible in part by contributions from podcast listeners. Please consider making a contribution by going to the Donate Now tab at mpbonline.org. Thanks for your financial support. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Home ownership is becoming more difficult for some Mississippians, with interest rates rising nationwide. Several national banks have recently failed, and more have lost significant market value in recent weeks. We spoke with Nick Bailey, executive director of REMAX, about how these rising costs are changing the market in Mississippi. Interest rates have certainly been at the center of the conversation over the past many months uh, because they have come up. But I think uh, what we've seen is we've seen that the market's rebalancing. And as a result, we've seen some stabilization in, in the rates. And in return, consumer confidence is coming up. But I think there's something more important to note, especially for buyers right now. The 30-year fixed has been the only piece of rates that we've been talking about. But for buyers, there are more options out there than just the 30-year fix. Um, For example, there are lower rate mortgages in adjustable rates or first-time homebuyer programs that have lower rates, interest rate buy-downs, 
uh, all of which have not been at the forefront of the conversation the last couple of years, but are really good options that buyers could look at uh, with possibly lower rates to help them get into a home. And so I would encourage buyers to make sure they have a great lender and are looking at all those rates that are available. And at the end of the day, uh, we have a saying in this, in this type of market that you marry the house and you date the rate. Even if you don't love the rate that you're going in, um, there could possibly be an opportunity for a refinance down the road. Okay, so can you tell me what the average rate is and then define those opportunities that you just mentioned? Yeah, rates have been fluctuating a little bit, and so they're, they're just a little bit above 6%, say, on a 30-year fixed. Um, and some of the options that I mentioned with adjustable rate, depending on uh, number of years, there's, uh, you know, a 5-1 arm, 3-1 arm, basically a 3, 5, 7, even a 10-year adjustable rate mortgage that can get you well under 6%. First-time home buyers can even get lower than that in some of the programs um, that are 4% um, or somewhere in between. And, and so I think as we look at rates, even though they've stabilized a bit, I think as we go through 2023, you might see them come up a little bit, then you'll see them go down. That's what we've experienced so far in 23, and I think that'll continue throughout most of the year. One thing we heard about in 2008 with the issues surrounding banks failing and home loans and so forth is that adjustable rate caught a lot of people and jacked up their mortgage. Well, this market certainly doesn't look anything like uh, the Great Recession. I mean, at the time, housing, because of subprime mortgages, it absolutely led the country into a recession. And today, this is totally different. But uh, you're right. When you're looking at adjustable rate mortgages, um, you need to look at, at, at what the time frame is. You know, the average homeowner in the U.S. lives in their home eight years, and the median across the country is 12.3. So in many cases... Uh, some of these adjustable rate mortgages, they may never see an adjustment. And there's also been some changes that's happened with adjustable rates, which they've put some caps on how much they can adjust. And that's the, the opportunity that buyers can look at, is there have been historically some adjustable rate that could just keep going up, up, up over year after year. And then there are some now that they may go up, but they will not continue to go up uh, because of some of those caps. So those are the type of things that lenders can really help buyers look at the options and help match how long they plan to stay in the house and help them get the best rate that they can. How would you characterize uh, the market in Mississippi? So in Mississippi overall, the number of homes being sold is a little less than an average across the country nationally. Uh, Transactions are down just under 20%. But we have seen the number of homes for sale, it is up nearly 30%. And so there is more coming onto the market, and they're staying there a little bit longer. It's up 24 days. Uh, But it's still average time that a house stays on the market across Mississippi is only 39 days, which is still relatively low. And because of that, it means the demand is still there, and that's why uh, the median sales price has actually still gone up just over 3% in the last year across Mississippi because the demand is high and overall the inventory is still fairly low. When people want to buy a home, what should they begin thinking about for a down payment? I I always tell people when you're thinking about buying, there are two things that you should really do. Uh, One, get a good agent right away. 
They can help you walk through where the market is today and help you with your personal situation understand what kind of down payment do you need for what kind of mortgage you're going to get. And then once you look at that, uh, make sure that you're pre-qualified. Understanding what you can afford, how much you have down, because depending on the loan, down payments can fluctuate. They can go anywhere from even a 1%, 2 3% that we're seeing with some first-time homebuyers, and we're seeing other loans that require, say, 10%. So it really depends on what kind of loan you get is going to determine what kind of down payment that you have. But it really should come down to making sure you're pre-qualified, know what you can afford before you go out there home shopping. It's the most efficient and best way to match your home search to your, your needs and what you can afford. Have you found that banks are skittish about mortgage loans because we're hearing about automobiles being repossessed because people cannot keep up the payments? The, the thing I, I think that is the most important for people to realize, as the Fed has, has increased the short-term rate, it has indirectly, obviously, affected mortgage rates, but mortgage rates are driven by the 10-year Treasury. So in some cases, as short-term rates have gone up, which is affecting possible car payments or credit card payments, several times over the past many months, mortgage rates have actually fallen. Uh, I would say to people that if you're looking or skittish just because of a car payment or a credit card payment or higher rates, make sure that you're looking at mortgage in a different way because it may not be going up at the same rate and it could possibly be going down. All right. Well, Nick Bailey, president and CEO with REMAX, thank you for taking the time to give us some insight on what the housing market is like right now. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Coming up, a small town in Mississippi is remembering one of their own, the life and legacy of Olympic gold medalist Tori Bowie. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Three-time Olympic medalist two-time world champion and Mississippi native Tori Bowie has died. She was 32 years old. Bowie is a native of Sand Hill, Mississippi, where she went to Pisgah High School and later attended the University of Southern Mississippi. In 2016, she participated in the Rio de Janeiro Olympic Games, winning gold in the women's 400-meter relay. Our Kobe Vance speaks with Craig Yates, principal of Pisgah High School, about how Bowie has left a mark in her hometown of Sand Hill. It's a tragedy, and it's it's something that uh, you you can never prepare yourself for for news like that. When you have a a kid come through that that you know that well, that has gone on to really make something of themselves and work work so hard, you know, great work ethic and just such a such a success story. Uh, and then to hear, you know, that it had come to an end so short, you know, uh, it, it's really devastating. It's sad, sad for our whole community, and, you know, our hearts go out to 
to her family and, and anyone else that's been impacted by this tragedy. Did you know Tori? I did. She was actually, her senior year was my first year here as assistant principal. So I knew her as an assistant principal and student. What was she like? Oh, just an amazing student. She was the type that uh, uh, when she came into the room, she lit it up, always smiling, uh, whether it be after a big victory or, or a big celebration uh, from an academic achievement, uh, all the way down to you know to losses. You know, she was always the same uh, Tory Bowie uh, that came in with a smile on her face and, and just represented Pisgah the way we wanted Pisgah to be represented. What did it mean to you to be able to see one of your former students go on to win an Olympic gold medal, not just once, but three times? Oh, it was truly amazing. She, um, uh, you know, the community kind of got behind her and didn't matter where you were uh, whenever the events were going on. I, I, I remember like yesterday, I was being in PetSmart, taking my dog to PetSmart and actually sitting there while I was waiting, watching one of her races on my phone. So you didn't miss anything. Everybody was behind her and pulling for her. And uh, it, was, it was an amazing time at Pisgah. It really was. What was it like to have somebody to be able to point to as a success from Pisgah, but also show the students what they could become potentially? Oh, it's fantastic. Uh, serving as a role model for our kids and uh, especially with her being, you know, an African-American from Pisgah, uh, where, you know, our community as far as our in our school population, you know, we're largely, uh, from a demographic standpoint, we're lar- largely Caucasian. Uh, and, and for her to to come out and set a good example for our student body, uh, for all the females in the school, the African-Americans in the school, as well as every student in the school, uh, just for them to see the success and how high the you know the sky is truly the limit. Uh, you know, a small girl from Sand Hill, Mississippi, that um, had the the backstory that she did to to go through and have the success she did was truly amazing. How are things going at the school today? For the most part, you know, all of the students who really knew Tori well and followed her, obviously they have graduated and gone on. Uh, obviously, we have some. Uh, some relatives of Tori that's still here in the building and in the community. So uh, we've just made sure that those doors are open for those kids if, if they needed to come in and, and talk to anybody. But uh, it has been difficult on some of the the faculty members that were here with Tori uh, when she was here because they knew that group so well. That was It was a group of young ladies that year that graduated together that, you know, they went to the Coliseum multiple times in basketball and then obviously were very successful in track as well. Uh, so, and, and, and all strong academic kids. So uh, it was a special group. And, and so you still got a lot of faculty members that were here during that time that, that worked with Tori and, and uh, it's been, I think it's been really tough on them uh, looking back and, and thinking about, of course, you're trying to remember the good times uh, and not focus on uh, the tragedy that's taking place. So, uh, But, yeah, it's, it's been tough today. Going forward, what do you think Tory's legacy will mean for Pisgah High School? Uh, it's really hard to say. I, I do know that, you know, we had... We have the, the sign at the exit uh, getting on to Highway 43 from Highway 25 that, you know, says, Welcome to Sand Hill, uh, home of Olympic uh, gold medalist Tori Bowie. And, of course, we we got the street out front uh, in front of the school that was Frontage Road that was named Pesgaha Road that's now Tori Bowie Lane. 
Uh, so, you know, her name is kind of etched in, in place around here in a lot of areas and uh, very well thought of. And, you know, uh, she'll be missed. Uh, but it just basically, you know, I think her legacy will be one that um, kids can look up to and know that no matter where they're from, even if they're from a small town like Sand Hill, Mississippi, you know, they can go places. The sky's the limit. Can you remember any interactions with Tori when you began as principal? Uh, not specifically. Um, I can tell you that, you know, generally speaking, day to day, she was the type of kid that uh, I'm a jokester. I, I love to pick around with the kids because that's, that's the reason I'm in this business. I love being around kids. Uh, so just being able to, to pick with her and, and um, see that smile on her face that, that was always present, uh, you know, I remember those times. Uh, but not a specific incident, just overall her demeanor and her attitude was fantastic. And what inspiration do you think Tori can set for the current students of Pisgah and those in the future? Gosh, as far as putting it into words, I couldn't really say. Uh, just, again, just knowing that she represented Pisgah the way she did in high school, uh, went on to a major university and was successful there and uh, kept in touch with people in the community, went on to achieve Olympic success and still came back and visited people in the community and um, she just you know she stayed humble and uh, just such a great person and I uh, just really hate it but I, I think again just knowing that the kids can look up to somebody like that and know that uh, there, there's a potential there to, to be successful no matter where you're from or, or what your background is. Craig Yates is the principal at Pisgah High School. Uh, principal Yates thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate the phone call. The principal of Pisgah High School, Craig Yates, remembering the legacy of former student and Olympic gold medalist Tori Bowie. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.